are excited to have Kevin Fitzsimmons on today. He is a PhD professor at the University of Arizona in the Department of Environmental Science. He is the past president of the World Aquaculture Society. We are going to ask him some questions in his location in Myanmar now. He is the team leader for the Myanmar Sustainable Aquaculture Program. He and the University of Arizona have actually been doing aquaponic research for ongoing now for 40 years. So we're excited to ask him some questions and just hear about his foundational work and experience in aquaculture and aquaponics. Well, I got into it kind of in a weird way in that uh, obviously at University of Arizona, most of our agriculture in the state is uh, irrigated, the dry state. And so uh, I kind of got into it of trying to show farmers how they could use the water twice. Grow fish in the water first, then use that effluent to irrigate, fertilize field crops. And when we first started doing it, it was, it was really hard to really demonstrate it, really show the effect. So what year was this? Farm. What year did you begin? 1981. Okay. Um, and so we were trying to figure out how to better show the farmers. And so uh, we had the idea, let's try doing some aquaponics. Um, matter of fact, I don't think it was even called aquaponics at the time. We were just doing fish water with hydroponics. Okay. And that's what you said. I mean, you, you, in the, you know, in the classroom or in the research, you said hydroponics with fish water. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And it turned out really well because, you know, we could grow the plants just, we were doing some, uh, in that case, a pretty, uh, shallow water trough or even, uh, rain gutter type things. But, you know, you could just pull up the styrofoam board and the farmer saw all the roots growing there and a nice big plant with no soil whatsoever. And he just said, hey, all the nutrients are coming from fish pee and fish shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the farmers really caught on to it then. And when we started doing some, some hardcore science with, uh, you know, uh, randomized replicated plots out in the field and stuff. It, it, it was not quite as uh, graphic, the differences, but we were showing 15, 20, 30 percent uh, savings in fertilizer costs by using the aquaculture effluent. And so we've, we've continued doing that. Uh, we, we still do that in the Middle East. We're doing it in Arizona. California, uh, which is which is great, and uh, but the aquaponics kind of took on a life of its own, and we started doing it in high schools. We got it going in elementary schools. We have a few commercial outfits in Arizona doing aquaponics, and uh, then I've had several of my graduate students who have gone on to teach at other universities or have worked with some of the big uh, commercial uh, outfits uh, that are doing uh, aquaponic on, on, on a really large scale. Great. What are some of those 
that have gone to large commercial uh, scale? Yeah, so Superior um, yes. up in uh, Wisconsin. Right. Uh, one of my PhD students, Bruno Sarosi, uh, went up there and helped get that operation going. Uh, he and his wife recently returned to Brazil to start a family and all that kind of stuff. But uh, he's, he's going to continue doing commercial operations down there in Brazil. Um, and uh, then we've got a, a few other smaller operations in Arizona that students have worked on. And then the biggest tilapia farm in Arizona uh, uh, they take all their effluent and ir irrigate field crops with it. And so they're doing like a thousand acres of alfalfa and uh, cotton. And they do, I read they're doing barley as well. Yep. Yep. They yeah, did barley great. for. And that was from your crop. initiative from the university? You approached one of my farm. students. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. Can you share more about that? That's fascinating, just how they're using yeah. the tilapia farm. And have you, another well, exactly. question would be, have you seen that happen globally? I know there's, you know, global aquaponic, I mean, aquaculture farms and fish farms, and have you seen it replicated? Certainly, yeah. So, so one of the aspects is this, this integration of aquaculture and, and more traditional agriculture. And uh, as I'm sure you know, people in Asia have, been doing it for about 2,000 years, right. growing fish right. and rice. Uh, everybody's seen uh, pictures of somebody dipping their buckets into a pond and then going over to, you know, tip the buckets out and walk down the two rows and irrigate their vegetables. Well, almost always, those are fish ponds. And, okay, interesting. you know, they're using that effluent water. So it's not like we've really invented anything. Um, where... I have kind of focused is, okay, look, you know, the Asians developed this, but in the US, Europe, we're not gonna walk by with two five gallon buckets, you know, watering our vegetables. So we need to come up with an agro-industrial version of that, whether it's through drip irrigation, whether it's through center pivots, whether it's through uh, laser leveled uh, flood irrigation, uh, but we want to use the concept because it is so sustainable. Um, and then the same in Asia, uh, kind of vice versa, they, they're getting away from, uh, you know, the family farm and going into more industrial agriculture all over Asia, including China. Uh, I mean, I was, to, when I first time I went to China, I was told there, there are no farms in China. Uh, everybody gardens. And, uh, you know, now that's changing that we do have more industrial style farms in Asia uh, as, as labor rates go up, et cetera, et cetera, to be more efficient. So we're trying to help them not forget what they did and, and you know, uh, take advantage of these integrated uh, farming systems. Uh, and then kind of the other avenue, which I'm sure all your aquaponics uh, viewers know is that aquaponics is so important when we start talking about urban agriculture, peri-urban agriculture, because we can grow so much food sustainably on a really small footprint and, and do it close into urban centers, reduce uh, food kilometers, uh, et cetera. And uh, so I think that's 
equally important. But, uh, you know, what, what people don't realize that in China, India, Southeast Asia, uh, they developed uh, these aquaculture, agriculture, agro systems, agro ecosystems, really, that were sustainable, produce a lot of high quality food. And most of the food was fish, whole grains, vegetables, fruits, which every dietitian, nutrition expert said we should be eating more of. And that's one of the reasons the population densities have been so high in this part of the world, because they developed this agro ecosystem integrating aquaculture and agriculture that could support huge populations without uh, lots of inorganic fertilizers. Uh, they're labor intensive, no doubt. Uh, but, you know, some of these fields have been farmed for 1,000, 1,500 years and year after year after year. So uh, it obviously is a system that we should be using around the world to produce more food more sustainably. And if we can get the West to work it into their agro ecosystem and the East to remember this as they go into more agro ecosystems, industrialized version, then you know, I think we're gonna be in a better place. What do you think it's gonna to take to get the West involved and integrate it well, into their agriculture kind of like Asia? What? Yeah, I think uh, part of it is uh, that they have to see that the economics uh, will work, obviously. Um, as seafood prices continue to rise, uh, because it all has to come from aquaculture, we're not getting anything more out of the ocean, seafood prices will rise. I think uh, organic produce, more sustainably farmed produce will, will continue to gather a better premium. And we have more and more states in the US who have identified land application through, through irrigation of aquaculture effluent as a best management practice. And so as states write their uh, fertilizer BMPs, if they incorporate aquaculture effluent onto field crops uh, as, as a uh, good aquaculture or good agriculture practice, good aquaculture practice as well, obviously, um, that that's going to drive some additional uh, interest. And, and again, we just have a population that uh, is looking for more sustainably produced food, whether it's organic or you know, not certified organic, but people right. still want it to be sustainable. The Mediterranean diet, <laughs> that's a big, yeah. big fad now. And that's the aquaponic diet. So it's exactly. really, it's really you, right. You've got it. Right. Yeah. And, and as, as we also, especially in the West have, uh, and, and a lot of Eastern Asia too, have rapidly increasing percentages of, of elderly in the population, you know, the grain population. Uh, these people are known to consume more uh, seafood, more vegetables, uh, fewer carbohydrates, uh, so more healthy eating right. style that, that fits right in with, with aquaponics and uh, uh, 
uh, aquaculture integrated with with field agriculture. Is there a something that still needs to be just either pushed harder or developed or what's lacking in the research world for aquaponics and yeah. aquaculture? Sure. Well, aquaponics, there are two things that, that I think are somewhat uh, overlapping. And first is that in, in my experience, when we have aquaponics that uh, get to be much more than one acre, half a hectare in size, we seem to hit a bump in the road, we'll call it. Um, and that is that most of the smaller scale operations can be run by you know, one or two people, a family, a co-op, a uh, bunch of graduate students, whatever, but by people who understand the whole system. They understand the interrelationship between the plants, the water, the microbes, uh, the fish, uh, and equally, maybe more important on when you start getting fairly large scale is control of insects. Uh, then kind of the related issue is when you go much past this half a, half a hectare operation, so often people bring in wage labor. Okay. They bring in somebody to do the grunt work, carry around things, da, 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 da. Well, in country after country where we've seen this happen, they run into a problem. And that is that with most wage labor, uh, it gets to be five o'clock, time to leave. They punch out and go. Um, but as everybody in aquaponics knows, your pumps, your blowers never break down between eight and five. We all say <laughs> that. I mean, we all say that and it happened to us like it was a lockdown here in a Friday morning, like the first day of lockdown and, you know, a yeah. pump pump broke. And it's just like of all days, it could have been eight hours before, but it wasn't. That's right. Yeah, that, that's what all, you know, it's Christmas Eve or yes. midnight. Why whatever. is that? We all say that, but it's true. <laughs> it is true. But, you know, the wage labor guys, that they'll knock off and say, oh, well, that pump was making noise. I'll work on it, you know, Monday morning when I come in. Uh, or, you know, I saw a few thrips out there. I saw some white flies. You know, I'll, I'll report it tomorrow morning. Um, you know, when you have the dedicated people who understand the system, they stay after five o'clock or they get on the phone and call somebody and say, hey, you know, we got to bring in beneficial insects or we got to go spray with pepper spray or we're going to go you know get our safer soap out whatever and, and there are uh, obviously lots of interventions uh go out and squish them with your fingers whatever it is um that needs to be done and so we need to have this kind of trained staff uh you know, junior technical people that could come in. And where I see this happening is more and more, we have high schools, junior colleges that are doing aquaponics in the classroom. Right. Um, and my hope is that that cadre of uh, educated, but, but, you know, not PhD level people uh, are going to be that middle management that 
you know, can be there between the really highly skilled people and the wage labor that pull it all together. So th those two things go together. And, and obviously scaling up past half a hectare or one, two, three, 10 hectares, uh, you've got to have that middle management there that are going to help you handle the insect infestations. Uh, because if you have to you know, make that decision of, okay, do we just throw everything away or sell it really cheap because it's got chewed up leaves or whatever, or do we come in and rescue it and spray everything? Well, then you've got to go through the whole process of cleaning and, you know, uh, lose your organic certification, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the two things that I see are really critical for aquaponics. Um, aquapon uh, aquaculture on a larger scale. To some extent, we, we have this same labor issue of kind of middle management, you know, uh, being, being an issue virtually everywhere, whether you're talking Asia or U.S. and Western Europe. Um, getting those people that uh, you can hire at a reasonable wage, but, but expect to have a higher level of experience uh, is, is taking some time. It's, it's happening. Uh, and some of the people who were wage labor who have, you know, five, six, seven years of experience, you know, they can go off and start their own operations or go work for somebody else. Uh, so you're getting some experience that way. But those are two really critical things. Aquaculture on a larger scale, again, uh, we're still improving nutrition. Uh, feed quality continues to improve year by year. We're working out better genetics and reproductive biology uh, for existing species and new species that are, that are coming in to play. Um, transfer, transferring more technology from Asia to the West, uh, you know, in China where they have these gigantic uh, scallop hatcheries or uh, sea cucumber hatcheries, right. and, you know, that, that uh, the West hardly farms some of these things. And in Asia, uh, whether you're Korea, Japan, China, they do on massive, massive scales. And so, getting the West to appreciate some of these other species and transfer some of the technology uh, is, is a key aspect to, to ex further expanding. Yes. Uh, aquaculture. So I'm team leader on uh, Myanmar Sustainable Aquaculture Project. And this is a 25 million euro uh, five-year project. Um, pushing sustainable aquaculture uh, across the country. Great. So uh, we're working inland with tilapia, carp, pangasius, and then coastal, we're working with artemia, uh, giant tiger prawns, macrobrachium, uh, uh, crabs, scylla crabs, a uh, little bit with, with uh, Asian sea bass. And then we're especially supporting uh, what we call the trap and hold more traditional system here, which is uh, enclosing an area of, of mangrove ecosystem okay. and then 
farming the shrimp, crabs, fish uh, in that enclosure. Uh, so it's, it's you know, kind of a, somewhat of a managed ecosystem, more of a pasture really, uh, but uh, we, we still need to provide juveniles. So crablets, uh, post larvae, shrimp, fingerling, fish uh, uh, into these systems and uh, usually some nursery, whether we do it in hoppas or cages, nets, uh, small enclosures in, in, in the area. These types of interventions to uh, be more productive. And then at the other end of the cold chain, value chain, uh, show the farmers how to harvest more sustainably, how to improve the post-harvest handling and set up uh, marketing channels so they uh, can shorten the chain and, and sell directly to restaurants, grocery stores, hotels, rather than going through the traditional fishmonger who then goes to the uh, 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 auction okay. and then goes to the wet market. And, you know, we're, we're trying to be more efficient than that. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, Do you have students on site as well? Um, we have a few Burmese students, yeah. Okay. Um, but it's mostly uh, the project is uh, actually implemented by GIZ, mm -hmm. uh, the German aid agency. Uh, the funding comes both from Germany and, and the rest of, of the EU. And uh, then we're partnered here with with Yangon University, Pathine University. Uh, so some of our students are coming from there. Uh, and then uh, a lot of private sector. Uh, we were working closely with the Department of Fisheries until three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, so uh, that, that part is a little bit up in the air uh, as to how we proceed in that, that regard. But, uh, uh, the people here have been wonderful. Uh, I had a three-year USAID project, quite similar, but on a much smaller scale, uh, before this project began. Okay. And so uh, I, I've been here uh, oh, almost full-time for four years. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, I, I get back to the U.S. to do my work at Arizona and then a lot in the evenings on Skype and Zoom and I was thinking, what are some exciting projects you know, like students are involved in at the university, whether it's um, with technology or agriculture, aquaponics, anything, what's just exciting to you to see yeah. kind of the next generation so, step forward? So here in, in Yangon, uh, in Myanmar, we've got students working uh, on uh, crab nutrition because right now they're using mostly forage fish to feed the crabs. And we'd like to get them onto you know, pelleted diets like we do okay. with shrimp. Uh, we've got some working on reproductive biology, trying to improve the hatchery methodology for the crabs. Uh, we've got a couple uh, who are working with a couple different phytoplankton strains to use in, in the hatchery uh, because we've, we, we've got fish, shrimp, crab hatcheries uh, going. Uh, so obviously larval nutrition is, is important with different algae. Back in Arizona, 
Uh, I've got uh, grad students who are doing some aquaponics work uh, and uh, looking at some different media, uh, comparing uh, expanded clay and floating beds. Uh, uh, I'm on a committee for a student from Australia who's looking at aquaponics and field agriculture and looking at uh, a model that might help people decide which is a, a better uh, method for any particular farm to, to look at field application versus a more high-tech uh, uh, aquaponic type system, which is, is real interesting that, that he's doing. Um, and then uh, those are the, those are some yeah. key things. So the future is bright. <laughs> I, I just think- The future is very bright. I just think, I mean, we hear a lot of, and I know COVID-19 has you know, brought more awareness, but I just think as we talk to people like you that have been around so long in this industry, we just see that you know, technology and you know, innovation can actually be exponential and just impact in providing you know, positive outcomes. And so I think just hearing those stories, and that's just Myanmar and Australia and Arizona. And so it's encouraging to hear that, you know, just makes me think, you know, things can move forward in an impactful, sustainable, innovative way that's, you know, better for all of us. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, uh, with the internet and how quickly good science now gets gets published and yes. made available on the web, um, whether it's compound interest or exponential, sure. whichever way you want to look at it, right. um, I think that's happening. I mean, when I serve on committees for students from Mexico or Brazil or Myanmar, and I see the level that at which the students are working now, um, I'm, I'm just amazed that uh, they, they are using techniques at a really high level that, you know, five, 10 years ago, they were just showing up at Research One universities. Right. And right. now we've got student, you know, undergrad students in Myanmar using PCR uh, on, the, on their senior theses. Yes. You know, just a few years ago, that was, you know, big time genetics labs were the only people who knew how to do that. Wow. And yeah. so uh, it, it's really just amazing how the technology is spread and how quickly students are picking up these skill sets uh, and, and applying it to aquaculture, aquaponics. So, yeah, no, I think it's uh, uh, wonderful how things are progressing uh, globally. Yes. I mean, that, yes. it's a really good sign. What kind of advice would you give? someone starting out in research or as a student, like, I mean, you've, yeah, you have this experience. Yeah. What would you just share with someone that's just getting into all of this in the research and kind of in the, you know, educational institutions? Sure. Um, well, one thing I would say is as soon as you can, uh, even if it's just volunteering, uh, get into somebody's research lab. Uh, or, or a commercial farm and get that hands-on experience. And again, starting out, if it's just volunteering, uh, independent study, uh, intern, whatever, go ahead and start there. 
And then by the time you're a grad student, you can usually get paid to do that. And uh, because industry uh, does not want just book learning. They want people who you know, know how to do these, know how to use the different uh, tools, uh, whether it's a microscope, a DO meter, uh, automatic feeding machine, pH meter, uh, whatever. Uh, you know, how to load a, a, a feed tray, uh, on and on and on. So uh, that, that would be my first bit of advice. Second is uh, try to read some of the industry uh, newsletters, magazines, uh, websites, uh, so you can get a better feel for where industry is going. Uh, what are the new technologies coming in? Things like that. Uh, you know, you, you may pick up some of that in the lab, but you may pick up even more from uh, industry uh, news outlets. And, and there's, you know, lots of websites, uh, uh, newsletters, webinars, whatever. All yeah, very valuable. It's, yeah, great advice. So how can we find more about your work and University of Arizona and what you've been involved in? Yeah, so at University of Arizona, we have an aquaculture uh, website. We have for Myanmar a, a website and, and Facebook page, which is more important here. Uh, and then uh, we participate in, in webinars. We present at professional meetings, World Aquaculture Society, uh, uh, Asia Pacific Aquaculture Society, Asian Fisheries Society, uh, Fish Nutrition. Uh, meetings, which will be in Korea uh, later this year. Uh, so we, we try to bring students to those. Uh, it's a great experience for students to, to present at those kinds of meetings. Um, uh, over the last year, participated in lots of different online webinars, Zoom meetings, those types of things, trying to uh, uh, keep, the, keep things fresh and, and communicate. Well, thanks so much for your time. Like, really, we're thrilled to have you. And I think just your experience and your foundational steps in all of this is encouraging to me. And I think it will be encouraging to those that watch this. And I just think, yeah, we're just appreciative of you and your work. And you've been involved in massive things. And so we appreciate that. And we look forward to just seeing yeah, the fruits of what you've invested in. And yeah, so we look forward to that. Thank you.